0: Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. Well, beautiful, beautiful. And uh, as we kind of gather around the word, I just want to say how much I appreciated last Sunday and Colton leading us and talking about being empowered to share in the disciplines that we engage in, and I, it just is a great reminder that we all want great outcomes, but we're not always ready to invest in what it takes to achieve those outcomes, and the Scripture's very explicit about this reality that, that what we do and what we say and and how we think in our minds and how we express in our hearts have something to do with the outcomes that we're getting. That the outcomes are not unrelated and they're not beyond our ability to affect. We may not be able to control the outcomes, but we can have an impact on them. And we're thinking today about what it means to be empowered to care. Let me read to you from Acts chapter 3, beginning of verse 1. One day, Peter and John We're going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. And now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. And Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And then Peter said... Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and he began to walk, and then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God... They recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. We set this series up by talking about the passage in Proverbs 29:18, where there is no vision, the people perish, where people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild, but, but whoever obeys the law is joyful. And and we just start thinking about in this season about the reality that you and I, all of us collectively need to look up. This looking around is, is absolutely divisive. It's absolutely destructive. I don't know if you know this, but human beings are fallible, incredibly fallible. And if you and I begin to focus on the humanness of the people around us, if we we begin to focus on the systems that work around us, we're going to get really, really discouraged. And so the Scripture continually says, look up. Don't look around, look up. If you want to be encouraged, look up. If you want to be discouraged, look around. And, and, And it's a simple principle, but it happens over and over and over How often we ought to be praying for someone instead of critiquing them. How often we we ought to be lifting someone up instead of tearing someone down. And so we're thinking about how that fits together. And in this kingdom of God, there's one body and one spirit. We were called to one hope when we were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God who is Father of all and over all and in us all. What unites us should be so much bigger than what divides us. And we're thinking about what that looks like. And I've been asking this question, and Colton shared it again last week. Where will the church be in this messy, anxiety-ridden, angry, broken, divisive, misguided, fearful season? Where will you be? Where are you? Where should the church be? Where should you be? This initiation of the book of Acts is a transition. It's a transition from the teachings of Jesus to the implementation of the kingdom of God on earth. This is the, this is the practicum that goes with the classroom. So the classroom setting, the understanding, the principles that Jesus has taught continually are now being fully implemented. And they are living out what it means to be the kingdom of God on earth. And if we're going to be the kingdom of God on earth, it's because we will initiate ourselves into this new covenant, a covenant that is marked like this. We will love others as Christ loved us. That means in the big picture that God redeems us. He loves us. He takes our brokenness. He sees our failures. He sees our weaknesses. And he responds to that in grace. And he heals us up and begins to mend our hearts and our lives and our minds and our spirits and our failures. He redeems us. He doesn't throw it all away. He simply takes it and causes it to work together for good. And then he says, now that I have loved you in this way, this is how I want you to love others. I don't you shouldn't have an expectation that others are going to be okay. They're not okay. You shouldn't have an expectation that they're going to perform perfectly. They're not going to. You shouldn't have an expectation that you're never going to be disappointed or let down because that's the truth of it. But love them anyway. That's why it's called grace. It's unmerited favor. And I wonder this morning as the church of Jesus Christ, how many of us are offering unmerited favor in any vast quantity? How many of us live in a spirit of grace where we're offering unmerited favor to just about everybody we meet or everybody we talk about or everybody we think about? If we're going to live in this covenant, it means I have to surrender my opinions, I have to surrender my attitudes, I have to surrender my politics, my anger, my fear, my worry, my uncertainty, my impatience, I've got to let it go, and I've got to pray and pray, God help me. I'm looking up, Holy Spirit, we need you, we need you in our issues, we need you in our lives, we need you in our journey. We talk a lot in the church about spiritual growth. Let me just ask you, what does it mean for you to grow spiritually? What does it mean for you personally to grow spiritually? How do you measure it? How can you tell if you're growing spiritually? Do you believe you are growing spiritually? Why do you believe that? And if you believe that you are growing spiritually, what about the people around you? Would they agree? Would they say, man, I I just see this kind of maturity, this sweetening, this process by which there is more and more a reflection of Christ-likeness in this person's life and in their journey? And I think we mean a lot of different things when we use that expression, spiritual growth. I think Peter and John have gone through some powerful transformations, and I think they are experiencing genuine spiritual growth growth. When you take the story of these men and who they were and, and where they came from, and now you move them through the transition of the day of Pentecost and the gift of the Holy Spirit, and, and, and now Peter and John becoming leaders in this new implementation of the kingdom of God on earth, there, there's a clear journey of spiritual growth, of maturing. The Peter we see in the first of Acts is not the same Peter that we saw in the gospel. He's changed dramatically there's depth. And I think in that reality, then, one of the ways that we are beginning to see their spiritual growth is in their ability to care for others, to slow down and to care for others. This ability to care for others, to see others, to be in space with others, has been described by so many great spiritual leaders. Henry Nouwen talks about the movement from hostility. I've mentioned it many times, hostility to hospitality. Listen to what he writes. It's second equally important characteristic is the movement by which our hostilities can be converted into hospitality. It is there that our changing relationship to ourself can be brought to fruition in an ever-changing relationship to our fellow human beings. It is there that our reaching out to our innermost being can lead to a reaching out to the many strangers whom we meet on our way through life. In our world, full of strangers estranged from their own past, culture, and country, from their neighbors, friends, and family, from their deepest self, and from their God, we witness a painful search for a hospitable place where life can be lived without fear and where community can be found. Although many, we might even say most stranger in this world, become easily the victim of a fearful hostility, it is possible for men and women, and obligatory for Christians to offer an open and hospitable space where strangers can cast off their strangeness and become our fellow human beings. The movement from hostility to hospitality is hard and full of difficulties. Our society seems to be increasingly full of fearful, defensive, aggressive people anxiously clinging to their property and inclined to look at their surrounding world with suspicion, always expecting an enemy to suddenly appear and trude and do harm. And I wonder how many of us in the midst of the culture in which we live The issues with justice and racism, the issues with the election and politics, the the issue with the pandemic and all of the questions that go with it. How many of us have begun to look at the world around us with suspicion instead of hospitality? We are being called to experience a kind of spiritual growth that allows you and I to live out the covenant, which is to love others as we love ourselves. In fact, The new command that we love others as Christ has first loved us. Dallas Willard, long before this pandemic started, (laughs) wrote these words The world can no longer be left to mere diplomats, politicians, and business leaders. They have done the best they could, no doubt, but this is an age for spiritual heroes a time for men and women to be heroic in their faith and in their spiritual character and power. The greatest danger of the Christian church today is that of pitching its message too low. And I just think when we enter into the arguing and into the mess and into the conflict and into the divisiveness and into the meanness, we are pitching the message of the kingdom of God way too low. Way too low. Willard later writes these words The greatest issue facing the world today, with all its heartbreaking needs, is whether those who, by profession or culture, are identified as Christians will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from Him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence. Are you growing spiritually? And, and, and if you're not, why not? Is there something different about you today than there was six months ago or a year ago? Is there a depth? Is there, is there some sort of sweetening? Is there a winemaking process going on by which things are forming inside of you? Because that is our invitation. That is our call. We are invited to be a part of the new covenant where the Holy Spirit empowers us. I read to you from Acts 3 a little earlier. Let me read it one more time, and then I want to make some observation about the empowerment to care that I see in Peter and John, and I think it matters to you and I. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to a temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those who were going into the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. And Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. And he jumped to his feet and he began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate, called beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. I think Peter and John are changed people. I think they're people experiencing genuine growth. And and I see six things that I think are pointed out specifically by Luke as he writes this story the eyewitness being Peter. And I think they matter to you and I if we're going to be people empowered to care. If we're gonna care about our families and we're gonna care about our neighbors and we're gonna care about our community and we're gonna care about our country and we're gonna care about the people in leadership and we're gonna care about people we're gonna care. We're gonna care about what's going on on the other side of the world we're gonna care about people in need. If we're gonna care, there are several things that have to happen number one There has to be the right context. They were already on their way to prayer. It's three in the afternoon, and their approach to the temple at three in the afternoon suggests that they have not turned away from their old Jewish traditions. This would not have been their first time to go to the temple today to pray And it seems to me that that for you and I, we often pray distractedly, we often pray as we're on our way somewhere else, we often pray as a, a, a sort of point of desperation, and what we most likely pray about is our own worries and fears and needs, and though we are invited to share such things, there is a context of prayer that allows us to be empowered to care. That I need to quiet my heart and quiet my mind and quiet my spirit and quiet my worries. I need to stop looking around and I need to look up. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. He will help His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven through you and through me. But I've got to live in this context. I've got to make myself available to allow the Holy Spirit to prepare me, to speak to me, to temper me, to settle me, to calm me, so that when need arises, I am in a place to see it and hear it and understand it. And so Peter and John have committed themselves to being in a context where they are sensitive to what's going on. They are listening. They are hearing and being empowered by the Holy Spirit to see what they need to see and hear what they need to hear. Number two, they had the right receptors. They had the right receptors. We're told specifically that this person didn't cry out and he didn't shout. And the language is quite specific. He simply asked them for money. It's quite understated, especially when you realize how often in Scripture just the expression, he cried out, doesn't necessarily mean they screamed or yelled. It It's just an expression. It just means that somehow they tried to get attention. But here specifically, none of that language is used. And so, he doesn't say much, and he doesn't say it very loudly. The passage that runs in my head is, let those who have ears hear. And Peter and John had the right receptors. They were able to hear the voice of another person in genuine need, even though that voice might not have been terribly loud and it might not have been terribly intrusive. What do you hear when people cry for help? What do you you hear when someone is asking for something? I'll be honest, you know, when someone asks me for something, I find myself being suspicious. I find myself thinking, well, I don't know. You know, person on the street asks me for money. I I immediately think about, oh, well, I've heard that, you know, giving money to people on the street is toxic. It might not be really helpful. I, I just have all that stuff running in my head. And I wonder if that's pleasing to God. What receptors get activated in you when somebody needs help? What receptors get activated in you when it's a family member? And maybe it's a family member that's needed help over and over and over and over. And maybe the form that that request for help takes is an attack. Or maybe it's depre- depression or anxiety or fear. What happens to you inside? It's complicated. It's complicated so that we must live in the right context and we must have the right receptors. Part of what we're praying about in the context is, God, give me ears to hear and eyes to see because I've got to have the right receptors on because I'll be honest, my receptors get fouled up and I hear things I shouldn't hear and I, I, I respond in ways I shouldn't respond. Especially when you have freely poured out your grace on me and you have asked me to love others in the same way how are your receptors number three they had the right vision they had the right vision there's a lot of eye contact going on in the story and there's a lot it's mentioned specifically he looked at them and and then he you know he looked straight at him and then did John and then he said look at us there's a lot of eye contact going on in a fairly descriptive way. Peter just didn't look at the man. He looked at his life. He saw something. There was something about the right vision that allowed him to see more than a guy sitting by the gate begging for money. He saw a context. He saw a life. He saw a story. He looked straight at him. As did John. And they saw him. They genuinely saw him. Frederick Beekner writes these words, If we are to love our neighbors before doing anything else, we must see our neighbors. With our imagination as well as our eyes, that is to say, like artists, we must see not just their faces, but the life behind and within their faces. Here it is love that is the frame we see them in. And I think it matters so much. Somehow Peter and John must have had an ability, must have, because of the context they were in, because of their receptors being sensitive, they were able to see not just a man begging for money, but the life and within this human being. That kind of vision has to be sought. It has to be prayed over. It has to be invited. It has to be a part of what we believe it means to be the kingdom of God, to be implementing the kingdom of God on earth. And it happens every day, and it happens in every single context. We're not waiting for somebody at the temple gate who's begging. We're we're waiting for our family. We're waiting for our friends. If this pandemic has damaged anything beyond all other things, it is our ability to connect with each other. It's our ability to exercise genuine care. What used to be natural and happened in passing has to be done on purpose now. And it seems to me we would we would benefit. The kingdom of God would benefit if we just loved like each other, if we just took time to reach out to each other. If we prayed today, God, who who? Who are the people in my life that I need to call? I need to reach out to? I believe God would speak. How is your vision? Because it matters. Number four, the right connection. So the man gave them his attention expecting to get something from him. The man gave them his attention. That's a rare connection. You know it and I know it. We talk, but we often talk over people, our past people. We talk most often believing that our message, our message, is the right one. We don't always wait to see if we have someone's attention. We seem frequently to forget that attention is not something you can take, it's something that must be given. How seldom in our empowering to care are we stopping to see if there is some kind of connection? That the power of the Holy Spirit in a context of prayer and a desire to have our receptors sensitive to others to see beyond just what's happening but beyond into the lives that are represented to wait patiently for that connection to take place. Do you feel you connect with others? And if not, why not? Does your brain immediately say, yeah, I, I try to connect, but people don't cooperate? They don't do what they need to do. I wonder, are we doing what we need to do? Are we in a context of prayer and preparation? Are our receptors sensitized? Do we know? I I just keep coming back to that. When the Holy Spirit came on them, everyone heard in their own language. The power of the Holy Spirit is to give us the ability to speak to people in the language they need to hear, with the attitude in which they need to hear it. With the vocabulary that's appropriate for them at this moment. In a place of hospitality and love and care. Who wouldn't want to pay attention? Who wouldn't want to be drawn into that space? People aren't terribly complicated. They want to be cared about. They're drawn to kindness. You, you, you guys, I've referenced this many times. But you know that old experiment. If you, if you put a house plant and you talk to it in a mean way. It won't grow very well. And if you talk to it in a nice way, it grows better. If a plant knows, your children know. If a plant knows, your neighbors know. If a plant knows, your spouse knows. And our default setting is not nice. Just being ourselves is not asking much. This has to be, this is intentional. Spiritual growth happens because we are intentional. Because we are discontent. And we're not discontent with others, and we're not discontent with the world, and we're not discontent with the circumstances. We're discontent with our own journey and who we are and how we work. And we humble ourselves and we seek. Number five, the right attitude. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth walk I I love this I like that attitude I'm so tired of people telling me what they can't do I'd like to know what you can do you know I mean it's a resilient spirit that when somebody says can you do this for me and we go well you know what no I can't I don't have that but I'll tell you what I can do wouldn't it be awesome if that's how all of our brains worked like like when someone needed something we just immediately went well Let me thumb through the inventory of all the things I have. And what do I have to offer that might be useful? No, I can't give. I don't know about you, but when people ask me for something I don't have, I feel relieved. Well, (laughs) check that off the list. Not me. Don't have to do that. I don't have that. Peter and John were like, no, I don't have any money, but I do have some other things that I could give you that might help you. Now, I believe that if I had the ability to pray a prayer of healing over somebody and and they just, you know, were able to walk, that I just might pray that all the time. I just might be walking around looking for opportunities to visit that healing power on people in need. Wouldn't you be that way? And as soon as I start to think that, the Holy Spirit checks me. And the Holy Spirit says to me, you have no idea the power you have to heal. You have no idea what your attention and time and energy might do to heal the life of another human being. We're told in the Word of God that we are ambassadors of reconciliation as though God Himself is making His appeal through us. And what if just a little bit of your time and attention, a little bit of our energy, a little bit of our space, a little bit of our compassion, a little bit of our love, a little bit of our grace, a little bit of our words of affirmation, a little bit of our encouragement, could actually heal another person's heart. Not all by ourselves, but by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, that He would speak through people. The scripture clearly says that we are the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. We are the body of Christ. And that what we say and what we offer to the people around us, is it's either causing dis-ease or it's causing healing. And which is it? And why is it? Because we are invited into this space in which, in which we say, well, I may not have this, but listen, I can give you my engagement. I can give you my attention. I can give you my energy. I can offer you compassion. I can offer you care. And I wonder if that was the attitude that we carried around with us. Anytime I, I sense that there is need... And I'm, I'm shuffling through what I have to offer and what I can do and what it is. I, I may not have that, but I have this. I have something. I can do something. I can always do something. And I think we are empowered to care in that way. Number six, the right relationship. Taking him by the hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong, and he jumped to his feet and he began to walk. The man was healed, And the story doesn't end there. They don't walk off. The man gets up and they... They walk into the temple courts. They go forward in a relationship together. And I just think we're told then that his friends and people recognize him. And I think Peter and John must have been meeting people and go, oh, this is my brother, oh, this is my mom, oh, this is a friend who lives down the street. I don't really like this guy very much. He wasn't nice to me. I I think there was a whole dynamic about relationship going on. And I think the fact that the story says to us, they didn't just stop there, it didn't end there. We have a lot of healing stories where the people run off and we don't ever hear from them again. But in this story, They walk on into the temple together. They they, they continue life together. They continue relationship. And I think that's key to caring. It's key to being empowered in such a way to care. So that you and I, we're, we're invited to a spiritual growth in which we experience the right context. And we nurture the right receptors. And we have the right vision to not just see the outside of things that are going on but to look beyond that into the lives of the people that are around us and to make the right connections and to genuinely have a right attitude an attitude of helping an attitude of caring an attitude of loving and we have right relationship we we move forward in these relationships we check on people we follow up we care we love Just to remind you, Henry and it is possible for men and women and obligatory for Christians to offer an open and hospitable space where strangers can cast off their strangeness and become our fellow human beings. Is that happening for you? Dallas Willard the world can no longer be left to mere diplomats politicians and business leaders they have done the best they could no doubt but this is an age for spiritual heroes a time for men and women to be heroic in their faith and in their spiritual character and power the greatest danger to the Christian church today is that of pitching its message too low Where? Will the church be in this messy, anxiety-ridden, angry, broken devices, misguided, fearful season? Where will you be? Where should the church be? Where should you be? I'm going to invite the band to come back, and we're going to close celebrating communion, and we're celebrating with brothers and sisters of the faith around the world. I I love that the first Sunday of October is World Communion Day. I love it because I think it matters so much. If for nothing else, on this Sunday morning, it should shift our perspective away from the things that are just in our immediate context to the reality that you and I have people who are a part of implementing this kingdom in every corner of this planet I think about our friends in Eswatini who who nine hours ago or so they were celebrating a Sunday morning and worshiping uh, uh, around that country and places where you've touched and shaped and made a difference brothers and sisters but Eswatini is one tiny place in the world we we have friends and 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 relationships connected still to South America and Bolivia and the years we spent in partnership there but thinking about our brothers and sisters in Armenia this morning and thinking about situations and circumstances, Ethiopia, Nigeria places where being a person of the Christian faith is dangerous courageous people in India who are pioneering the work and the faith folks connected right into this congregation Rick and Ellen and the work they do there and people in Muslim countries tent maker missionaries visions that are invading into the Muslim world of the kingdom of God coming to earth folks we're we're part of something that's so much bigger than our current context and we ought to be excited and generating and getting ready for what's next getting ready for what's next in your home, in your family, in your life. In all things, God works for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. This is the time to walk by faith. So I want to encourage you to gather those elements. The symbolism of this moment as we join with brothers and sisters all over the world is simply this, one Lord, one faith. One baptism, one God who is Father of all and over all and in us all. What unites us is so much greater than what divides us. And if you don't think so, just look up. Stop looking around and look up. Let's be the body of Christ. The invitation of this table is an invitation to bring it all. Worry, stress, fear, anger disappointment, sadness, the need for healing. That we humbly come into this space and say, I'm inadequate, I can't do it by myself. I need the very presence of God deep in my life to nurture me from the inside out. That I take in the power of these symbols, but it is the work of the Holy Spirit and the presence of Christ that now inhabits my inner being and works in ways when I'm not even thinking about it. Nourishing parts of me that are malnourished. Growing parts of me that need to grow. Healing parts of me that are diseased and broken. The feast is for his disciples. As we prepare our heart for this table, I invite you to pray with me a prayer of repentance. And then we'll dedicate the elements where you are and the elements here. And we'll partake together as one family. God, thank you. Thank you that the supreme act of your journey and narrative and redemptive story is a sacrifice of love and grace. That you took on our brokenness, that you took on the weakness, that you took on our failure. And you looked at us and you said, I don't want you to live broken anymore. I don't want you to live a half-life. I don't want you to live in shame. I don't want you to live in guilt. I don't want you to live in regret. I want to bathe you in the righteousness of Christ and make you whole again. By His stripes, we are filled. By His stripes, you transform us. You make us whole. And then you invite us to go out into our world and into our culture and be salt and light. I pray for every need. I pray, God, that in these moments as we circle the wagons, as we gather as the body, that you would invite us and allow us to pour out our hearts to you, our sadness, our grief, whatever it might be, and heal us, and heal our land. As we prepare for this table, we confess to you our sins. Lord, we just don't want a few moments of repentance. We don't want just a crisis of repentance. We want a culture of repentance. We're so thankful that your word teaches that when we confess our sins... You are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. May it be so. And now, we dedicate the elements that have been brought together for this moment. And we dedicate them to you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And we pray that through these elements, you would apportion grace to every person as they have need. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. The body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was broken for you, preserve you blameless, unto everlasting life. Take and eat in remembrance that Christ died for you. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ which was shed for you preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Take and drink in remembrance that Christ died for you and be thankful. And now, God, would you go with us and empower us to care? And in these closing moments, would you hear these prayers of our hearts as we respond to your word? May it be so. We pray it in Jesus' name and everybody said together, amen and amen. God bless you. Let's sing. Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.